Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Town of Portland podcast. And uh, I'm your host, Dave Kosminski, uh, and we're live here in the Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio uh, at Portland High School. And it is uh, uh, a, a balmy 94 degrees outside, so <laughs> i go from there. But this is going to be our episode number 38. And uh, with us uh, on the phone, uh, our first select woman is going to be a few minutes late, but we're going to start off with our... Uh, frequent flyer, Mr. Russ Melman, who is the Chatham Health Director for the Chatham Health District. So um, how are you, Russ? Doing well, Dave. Thanks for having me again. Episode 36. Wow. That's... No, this is 38. Oh, 38, goodness. 38, uh, my God. You know, and, and you've been on most of them. <laughs> right. Well, I appreciate the sort of the opportunity to speak directly to you know, residents of Portland and anybody else who listens to the podcast. So you know, we're, we're getting a lot. I think it's been a great, uh, a great megaphone for getting health information out there and uh, letting people know what's going on around town and around town of Portland. So I think it's been great, and I'm I'm doing well. You know, I'm getting a little bit of a breather. Things have stabilized here. So yeah. actually uh, I, I get to leave on time sometimes, which hasn't really happened. Wow, that's novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I'll have a whole weekend where somebody doesn't call me. I mean, I feel like I'm doing something wrong sometimes when well, well, that's I only the thing. work 40 hours or something. And, and especially when your wife says, yeah, why are you home? <laughs> right, exactly. My kids actually ask me when I come home on time, like, what are you doing home so early? And I have to tell them, well, this is actually when I should be getting home. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. So anyway, um, I guess now I, I guess we're con- considered uh, in the dog days of summer. So, um, uh, and I think, uh, you know, now that we've gotten through the... Uh, uh, the, the school year, we just did our uh, wrap-up with uh, uh, Dr. Britton, uh, uh, in fact, uh, last week. And uh, I guess uh, he had to get some notifications out uh, as far as in relation to um, uh, what he's mandated by the do, uh, to do by the state in order to, uh, um, uh, I guess, get his uh, federal money and so forth. So we, we did that, and uh, so he's uh, he's got things wrapped up. So um, what's on tap for the, uh, you know, I thought maybe we could, now that summer is here, uh, you know, as far as that goes, I know uh, things have loosened up. People are starting to travel a little bit, uh, as well as uh, kids are going off to camp. So uh, what, what's, the, what's the latest update on the, the travel advisories and, uh, you know, uh, camp protocols? Sure. Um, so CDC still has travel advisories for international travel. Um, so if people are planning international travel, you know, the first thing they should do is go to the CDC website and look to see um, what concerns the CDC has indicated uh, exists relative principally to COVID-19 in the countries that people are traveling to. Some countries are really having a hard time with COVID-19 still. Um, others are having a better time as we are. But People should check the CDC website to find out what the travel advisories are and what the requirements are. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there are requirements, depending on what country you're going to, to verify that you've been fully vaccinated before you can move around the country or present a negative test, or in some cases, both. Some countries, for example, Israel requires not only for you to be fully vaccinated, but when you land, you have to go immediately before you can move about the country freely to get your antibody levels checked. Okay. So they don't even just take your vaccine card as, as gospel and say you're fine. Mm-hmm. So depending on where you're traveling to, you know, you should find out what the requirements are vis-a-vis being fully vaccinated, getting tested, or getting tested when you're there to demonstrate that you've got immunity to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. 
and you should also be prepared for what the what the lockdown situation is. Um, right. There are some European countries right now, for example, that are going back into some lockdown. So if you're planning to travel and do touristy-type things overseas, you know, before you shell out too much money doing that, you should make sure you're going to be able to do the things you actually want to do right. when you get there. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't just assume that because in the United States, you know, people are moving freely about the country and the economy is just, just mm-hmm. not fully open everywhere. Sure. That it will be the same thing when you go to, you know, some other country. Right. <clears throat> there are some other states also that have different requirements. So, you know, in Connecticut, uh, you know, indoor indoor mask wearing, for example, is required only if people who are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. So I was just in New York City visiting with my family. And just about everywhere, and I don't know if this is a state requirement, but everywhere indoors in public places you're required to wear a mask. Right. Okay. So that's different than Connecticut, where if you're unvaccinated, you have to wear a mask. So in, in New York City, for example, everywhere you go indoors, you have to wear a mask. Wow. Um, you know, I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you have to wear a mask. It didn't say, <clears throat> if you're unvaccinated, wear a mask. It just said you're required to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just just pay attention to the, the just do some little internet research. CDC website is great. If you're going to go to a different state, just go to that state's Department of Public Health website and find out if there are any requirements. Right. Um, generally speaking, though, in the United States, you're going to find things that are very similar to what we have in Connecticut. Sure. With with a few small differences. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in relation to the um, you know international travel and so forth, and uh, people that are, are are going for passports now, is it um, you know when you go for a passport now, is it required that you have to have uh, vaccination? So are you asking if people don't yet have a United States passport? Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, you're going to, you know, get a passport now, are the uh, um, people, are the federal government requiring you to have vaccinations to I get a passport? I don't actually know the answer to that question, Dave. I think it's probably unlikely as a citizen of the United States, okay. you are, you know, entitled to get a, tr- a passport that identifies you as a citizen of the United States. So if you want to travel, you, you're identified as a citizen of the country. Correct. I doubt very much you're required to have a vaccine to get a passport. But, um, you know, the United States will not stop you from traveling if you're not vaccinated. But the country that you plan to go to may stop you. I so, see. I see. <clears throat> you could have a passport. If you don't have one, you could probably get one without being vaccinated. But it won't do you any good if you're traveling to a place, like I said, like Israel, which will require you to be prove that you're fully vaccinated and prove that you are immune. <laughs> so okay, yeah. um, your passport won't do you much good if when you get there you have to sit in a hotel room at your expense for 14 days. Right, right. Now, now as far as in relation to airline carriers, are, are, are most airlines um, have a, a standard policy that uh, you, you must wear a mask on a plane or are they, are they different? <clears throat> yes. In fact, I think it's pretty universal in all, ty- in all forms of public transportation around the country in most places. So... From taxis to buses to trains to airplanes, yes. So if you are traveling in an airplane, you are required to wear a mask. I don't think it matters if you are fully vaccinated or not. I think most airlines are just requiring masks. Okay. Um, There have been very widely reported incidents of confrontations between not only um, passengers and other passengers, but passengers and airline personnel. Right. Uh, You know, my advice to anybody who is traveling for the first time in, say, a year and a half, Mm -hmm. Be prepared to feel a little bit of anxiety and be prepared to, you know, with some calming measures of your own, you know, find your happy place. If you're somebody (laughs) who, you know, really, really hates to wear a mask, you've been fully vaccinated for a while and you've gotten used to not wearing a mask. Right. um, As frankly, I have in Connecticut. I've already gotten very used to not wearing a mask. I've been fully vaccinated for many months. And as soon as the state mandate for mask wearing was restricted to non-vaccinated persons, 
I stopped wearing my mask. So right. if I were to get in a plane right now, you know, I might be sort of taken aback by having to put on a mask. Um, just be prepared to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure, just ask. Sure. And, you know, don't get upset with the ticket agent or the person. TSA who, agent. Or, yeah. yeah, you know, that's not really going to get you very far, except perhaps on the no-fly list. So <laughs> uh, I would just, you know, recommend that everybody be prepared to wear a mask. <clears throat> and when they're in the airport, when they're on an airplane, and when they're in any other kind of public transportation, wherever their destination is, whether it's a bus or a train or, or a taxi. Um, sure. Be prepared. Yeah. Okay. Now I know you know with summer coming, uh, you know most kids now are you know or or parents are looking for camp opportunities for their children. Uh, is is what's the uh, protocol now for camps as far as that goes? Yeah. So day camps, especially camps that are occurring outdoors, uh, masks are not the rule. You don't have to wear a mask when you're outside a camp. Um, I think the rules for overnight camps are somewhat different. Um, I think there is no mask requirement anywhere in overnight camps. Uh, or, or indoors, you're going to have to wear a mask, except in your place where you sleep. I see. So if you're sending your child to overnight camp, they should be sent with a mask, um, but they should also be prepared to not be required to wear a mask when they go to wherever it is that they sleep. Um, and that, you know, I think that's a comfort level for parents. Right. If your children are fully vaccinated, I would send your child to, to overnight camp or any other camp. I see. Okay. I, you know, I, if my kids, if my kids were not fully vaccinated, I personally, this is my personal comfort with risk. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be sending my children to overnight camp. I see. I um, see. If they weren't fully vaccinated. It's just my personal comfort level of risk. So you should understand what the requirements are going to be. And if you're not comfortable with no mask wearing in the cabin with other kids who might not be fully vaccinated themselves, then you should think very carefully if that's the kind of place you want to send your kids. I see. Uh, Susan, is that you that came in? It is, yeah. I'm actually uh, down at our riverfront, Dave. So oh. that was a big truck driving by. Oh, okay, okay. I was just wondering. I th- it sounded like you were dragging a chair across the floor or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no. Okay, good. I'm glad that you're here. Okay, fantastic. Russ is just giving us the, uh, uh, you know, the camp advisories as far as for, uh, you know, children's camp, day camps and so oh, forth. Great, so, yep. Uh, anyway. yeah, I mean, we know outdoors spaces are very, very low risk for COVID-19. I mean, if I think back to where we were at this time last summer, it was actually in a very similar place vis-a-vis COVID-19. Very little transmission all of last summer. Now, you know, the economy wasn't really wide open like it is now. Um, Mass requirements indoors and outdoors, you know, in all places that were public was the rule. So we were in a very different place than we are now. But, But in terms of the number of cases we saw, we were at the same, basically the same point, very few cases. Nice. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, people should just be mindful that <clears throat> wherever they go, they should bring a mask with them just in case the requirement is or the business, wherever they are, mm-hmm. asks you to wear a mask. And now the, the, the situation with the variants out there, what's the, what's the status with that now? Sure. So the State Department of Public Health does track variants. They do take a certain number of positive um, samples from the population and test them for the presence of the principal variants of concern. I think there are three or four at this point circulating in Connecticut. Um, what has become the dominant variant is the UK variant, B117 variant. Um, it's a more infectious variant, slightly more virulent, so it causes slightly worse symptoms also. Um, that's the dominant variant right now in the state of Connecticut, but the vaccines that we have are highly effective against them. So mm-hmm. that's why we're just not seeing much transmission. Many people are vaccinated at this point. So even though we've got some variants, 
uh, circulating. We're not seeing much transmission. The variant that's on everybody's, the tip of everybody's tongue at this point is the Delta variant. That's the one that emerged um, from India um, during their massive COVID crisis, which is still going on right now. They're really not out of the woods. but um, And that is even more infectious. And the thinking is now that that will become the dominant variant that is circulating um, in Connecticut at some point over the next few months. Just as the <clears throat> B117 variant took, you know, two or three months to become the dominant variant in Connecticut when it first emerged, that's what's being predicted for Connecticut with the Delta variant. Now, the vaccines that we have are effective against it, slightly less so, but they are still very effective. So I wouldn't expect to see, you know, massive outbreaks among people who are vaccinated. You know, mm -hmm. I think you're, you're very well protected against the variant, so I'm, I'm not too concerned. But for people who are unvaccinated, right, um, when you have a more infectious strain that is circulating, the rules that we were following before um, about how we can mitigate the spread of those of that that virus still apply, but even more so are important for people who are unvaccinated. And it is right. even more important for those who are unvaccinated to initiate vaccination at this point. Um, right. Because once we hit the fall, September, October, you know, last summer, even in August, we started to see a small uptick. Right. Um, but September, October, November, if we are at the point where we're at now in terms of vaccination around the state, which is about two-thirds of the state having been initiated vaccination, um, we're going to see surges. We're going to see clusters of cases because it's a more infectious variant. Right. Um, and it will impact people differently uh, than the traditional variant, that we, than, than the, the alpha variant, the one that was circulating for, for the better part of a year. So I think people just need to be mindful that if they thought that if they're not getting vaccinated because they think COVID-19 is not a big deal, um, to really reconsider. Right. Um, it is a big deal. It causes a lot of illness. It's still there. It's still there. We have more infectious variants that we're still learning about, frankly. The Delta right. variant, we're still learning about it. So um, I would hate for somebody to think it's not a big deal and get infected and bring it back to their family and, and for right. somebody to have a bad outcome as a result. So um, now, 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 as these variants, you know, kind of evolve and so forth, um, do, you, do you think the CDC is going to come out uh, – you know, at some point and say to uh, vaccinated people that uh, you might want to consider a booster shot? If they find that whatever variant that is circulating is, is evades the immunity that has been conferred by vaccine, mm -hmm. then yes. If there is a vaccine out there that will confer immunity against the variant, you know, right. that's sort of the key. Getting boosters when the booster doesn't protect you against a given variant doesn't seem particularly useful. Right. You know, it would be like getting a flu shot for COVID-19. The flu shot is not going to protect you. So right. I think they have to understand a little bit more about the Delta variant and the other variants that are circulating before they say, you know, we recommend a booster because this particular booster works, you know, this particular vaccine works better against this predominant variant than another. And they are actually doing studies right now where they are giving people boosters with vaccines that are different from the vaccine they got initially. Ah, Okay. Right. So they are now studying, for example, people who got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they are now giving them one of the two mRNA vaccines that are authorized, so right. Pfizer and Moderna, and vice versa. And, and they're, they're sort of mixing and matching. I see. So they are studying whether or not you can get a better level of immune response, sure. better protection against the variants, by using boosters with different vaccines. Well, I think overall, I think the vaccines have been highly effective uh, uh, on these variants so far, so uh, w which is a good thing. 
Yeah, that's a great thing. And and I think, you know, we've we've gotten calls from people, as many people as there are out there who seem to be hesitant to get a single vaccine right. at all. I think there are just as many people out there who are looking to get more vaccinated. So we get calls to our office from people looking to get a different vaccine than the one they got already. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a call just yesterday from somebody saying that they wanted to get the Moderna vaccine because they had been given the, the, uh, the Johnson & Johnson already. Um, and they heard that that was a thing that was happening and that, that it was good for them. Ah. Um, so for anybody who's thinking right now, just, you know, give me one of everything, kind of, um, until there's actually a recommendation that that is both safe and effective. Right, right. Um, don't bother calling your physician or vaccine provider, and please don't lie to any vaccine provider and say that you have not been vaccinated yet just to get that vaccine. The safety studies have not yet been completed on that kind of approach, of uh-huh. getting a different kind of vaccine as a booster. So um, if you've been vaccinated, great. You should trust that protection. You should enjoy all the things that you can do now that, that you're vaccinated. Um, without much concern, sure. and wait until the safety and efficacy studies are done with those boosters before you start going out and trying to get one. Right, right. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think, uh, you know, information. Well, what's our uh, infection rate now uh, as far as the numbers go? Oh, gosh, <clears throat> very low. Oh, okay. In Portland, now the, the newer, the, the updated numbers will come out today, and I'll send them my report either this late this afternoon or early tomorrow morning. But in Portland, in the two weeks, uh, the previous two-week period that we reported, there were two confirmed infections. Oh, okay. Two important. Got it. So, That's... you know, in all of Chatham Health District, the last time we looked, uh, there were eight. Oh, okay. So we're under one case per 100,000 on an average daily basis. That's a good thing. <laughs> Which is a great thing. Yes. Um, it also makes contact tracing much more effective. So, sure. you know, when we reach out to interview people, we can understand in much greater detail where they were likely exposed, who they exposed, um, and put in those uh, uh, put in those recommendations and make those phone calls. It's actually a lot easier now that people are vaccinated. Many of the close contacts that we reach out to when we're doing contact tracing have already been vaccinated, so yeah. they don't have to quarantine. We say it's the first question we ask. You know, you've been con- you've been in close contact with somebody with known COVID nineteen. Have you been fully vaccinated? The answer is yes. You're good. Have a great day. Um, <laughs> the circle you know, is a lot smaller. Sorry, what day? The circle is a lot smaller. The circle is a lot smaller, exactly. So it's, it's really good. And in Portland, you know, the numbers are great. 67% of Portland residents have initiated vaccination. Around 62% are fully vaccinated. Um, it does vary by age. So, you know, older adults, working-age adults, more than two-thirds have been vaccinated. So good. great news. You know, people who are above 16, you know, um, very, very high levels of immunity. Children, though, 12 to 15-year-olds, were only at about 30% having been fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Ah, so great. if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're wondering, you know, should I get my child vaccinated, should I not? The answer is yes, you should. They're very safe. They're very effective. Um, there's a lot of myths out there. Go to cdc.gov. Um, learn about the myths that are out there. Um, educate yourself about the safety and the efficacy of these vaccines um, from a trusted source and, and get your kids vaccinated. Um, the time is now because, you know, it's going to take you six to eight weeks to become fully vaccinated, and by that time, school started again. There you go. You know, if you don't want your child, if for nothing else, you don't want your child to be swept up in contact tracing when they go back to school and then have to quarantine and be out of school for a week or two mm-hmm. in the fall, get them vaccinated. Yeah. Now, um, now what's, what's the forecast for, you know, uh, children under 12? Is that something that's uh, coming or, you know, as far as for the fall? Right. I'm, I'm not sure what exactly you're talking about, but we, we you know, my, my hope is that we see the number of children, 
Is eight children under 12? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, right now I think uh, the vaccines are for 12 and over. Or... Yeah, that's right. Probably not until after the, the beginning of the school year where we see vaccines that are authorized for use. For I see. Okay. Under 12. Right, right. So. so if your child is basically uh, in elementary school, has not yet reached middle school, yep. they're not 12 years old, I would not... I would not count on them being able to be vaccinated before the start of the school year. Okay, all right. So, you know, I think the state is working on, both the CDC and the State Department of Public Health are working on their guidance yep. for schools for the fall. The hope is that they will get that guidance out in early July. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who's waiting to see what the state is going to say about, for example, masking in schools right. or social distancing or contact tracing or anything like that, um, you're just probably going to have to wait another week or two, and that, that rec those guidance documents should be out. Right, right. Um, now, now, you, go ahead. now, as far as in relation to the, uh, the governor's emergency powers, I think those have been extended into July now? July 20th, I think, is the, 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 de the date that they've been extended to. Um, oh. So all the executive orders that have been issued under that emergency declaration are still in effect, including um, the mask mandate for people who are unvaccinated, who are in indoor environments. Uh -huh. um, and schools and trans public transportation and healthcare settings and nursing homes all still require masks indoors by everybody, uh, regardless of the vaccine status. So that's still in effect through January. I mean, through July 20th. Um, I can tell you that I get plenty of emails and phone calls from parents on both sides of the spectrum. Some asking uh, if I have any sway or influence to lift the mask mandate in schools, and just about as many others asking. You know, my child is unable to be vaccinated because they're not of the age, and please don't lift the mask mandate when school starts. Right. So, so you get both sides of the spectrum. Both sides. Parents who feel very concerned that there won't be masks required when their child's unvaccinated in school, and parents who think masks are not necessary, and, you know, why are we bothering with masks with sure. children when they are less likely to have severe outcomes from COVID-19? So, awesome. Um, wait a couple more weeks, and hopefully that guidance will be out. That'd be great. Well, I appreciate it, Russ. Thanks so much. Uh, so forth. Um, before we, uh, 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 Susan, I think you're you're up next. Okay, Russ. I don't know if you can hang in there for a few more minutes uh, and so forth, because I want to get your, you know, after Susan does her update, I want to get your uh, uh, take on the uh, the legalization of cannabis and all that kind of stuff. I'd love to talk about it. Can I just say one more thing sure. about vaccinations? And that is, you know, we are going to be issuing basically scorecards or reports for each of our municipalities, Portland included that is going to detail, you know, in as granular a way as we can, the vaccine campaign in each of the towns. Okay. Um, it's going to be talking about age breakdowns and, and breakdowns by race, ethnicity, and that's really what I want to focus on really briefly. Okay. Um, our white residents are very much taking up vaccine. Uh-huh. Our Native American, our Asian and Pacific Islander populations taking up vaccine. Our black populations are appearing to be extremely hesitant to, to get vaccinated. In the town of Portland, only 31% of our black residents have been vaccinated. Ah, okay. Um, so we're working this summer to um, focus on those populations. We're getting out in the community and doing pop-up vaccine clinics. We're going to be offering incentives for people to get vaccinated. Think gift cards in the amount of about $25 to get, to get vaccinated. Um, we really want to remove every barrier possible to anybody to get vaccinated, and that really looking at these numbers by race ethnicity gives me some concern. So sure. um, we're, we're focusing on equity this summer mm -hmm. and uh, 
if you see us out there, come and talk to us, ask questions. We'll be at every event you can imagine with a table doing education and vaccination. So we'll see you out there this summer. Great. Fantastic. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate it. All right, Susan, you're on deck, kid. Yeah, so you're, you're down uh, basking uh, by the riverfront. <laughs> can you hear me okay, Dave? Yes, you're, uh, you're a little bit equity. Go ahead. Let me. Okay. Uh, let me just, uh, that might be a little better. I'll take it off speaker. Yeah, that um, would be great. Yeah, we were, we had a, actually a special board of selectmen meeting this morning at 10 o'clock. Yeah. And we were at the 248 Brownstone Avenue, which is one of the pieces of riverfront property the town bought in 2019 Uh and we were talking with our licensed environmental professional Uh which is uh, um, Amy Valencourt she works alongside a couple of other staff at tie and bond and they went over for us Dave how the cleanup is progressing Mm -hmm. and what the future is as our listeners may be aware, this parcel used to be an active asphalt and oil distribution site right on the coast of the Connecticut River, and it is right next door to the Riverfront Park where we have all of our concerts and mm-hmm. other activities. Our labyrinth was just built. So it's natural that we would be trying to clean up this area, which was vacated about mm, probably a dozen years ago. And so they went over today for the selectmen a lot of the work that they have done, including the removal of five of the above-ground great big huge oil storage tanks. Uh Those have been removed, and fortunately, the Connecticut Scrap Metal Company out of North Franklin, Connecticut, did that job for no cost to the project. That has saved the project about $200,000 in the budget. So we're very grateful for that. Um, Ty and Bond got us that company, and the company just did a fantastic job last winter in removing all those tanks. Yes. So now what we're discussing is going out to bid for a remediation contractor, somebody that'll come in, remove the required soil that tie and bond, our professional environmental folks tell us, has to be removed. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at is probably capping a lot of the uh, matter that's in the soil with uh, asphalt. Mm -hmm. So at 222, which is where it's already a a sort of a parking area, that will likely be covered with asphalt and a minimal amount of removal of soil from that site. A little more removal probably from the next lot, which is 230. And then at 248, where the big old tanks were, in the past, the former owner did have some oil spills. So we know and we have accommodated in our $750,000 budget, which is paid for by the state of Connecticut by a grant. Yep that we have, the bulk of the cost, we guess, will be from that 248 Brownstone Avenue. Uh So we're going out to bid in July and in August, and we hope by September, October, that initial covering with the asphalt will occur at the 222 and 230. Uh And then in in the spring of 2022, which is when we're scheduled to complete the work, 
248 will have also been cleaned up and capped and will be, uh, during the course of this year, looking at some potential tenants, potential companies, restaurants, people that might be interested mm-hmm. in looking at this property to place their business. Sure. Um, the, the, comp- the entity, the state agency, is Department of Economic and Community Development, so they'll be working with us to make sure that we do everything right and that we're able to get a, get a good contractor and then market it and get sure. back some of the money, put it back on the tax rolls perhaps, Whatever the community feels is good for us, we will do. Right. So it was a little, little, uh, little sticky out today um, in terms of yes, being, being outside, but there was a nice little breeze from the river, so oh, that's we good. were okay. The meeting ended a little after eleven. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, so uh, it's it's going to be it's a big project, and it's sh- something we really look forward to. I know speaking with our health department, they're they're always encouraging us to clean up wherever there might be contaminants to prevent any any possible problems down the road for Absolutely. our well-being and our health. Yeah, in fact, uh, we are, uh, uh, some of our town techs, we, do, we took some video of them taking the tanks down, so that's on our website if somebody wants to view that, <laughs> those big machines that right. were chewing up those tanks and so forth. That was uh, kind of interesting, but uh, uh, that was it, great. It was, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. That'll be sure. interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, uh, what's your plans for the summer, kid? <laughs> well, gonna, plans gonna kick for the back summer. a There's little bit. A, the splash pads open today. Yep. If you want to go out, okay. Splash around all weekend, weather permitting. Yep. We have uh, a staff person that'll be there to assist people and make sure the bathrooms stay open and clean, uh-huh. and that our youngsters are able to have some fun. Park and Rec is up and running with their summer camp opportunities, yes. and I know the Portland Library has a lot of activities the summer uh the last two tuesdays in july yep. and the first two tuesdays in august parks and rec along with brownstone club will be co-sponsoring uh, riverfront concerts in the open and we'll look forward to some summer fun at a riverfront and uh and enjoy this nice warm weather great fantastic well it's uh it's certainly. I guess we're going to get a little reprieve from the from the heat and humidity this weekend, but we got a, a I guess some slight chance of showers. But uh, it's going to be a, a holiday weekend. It's going to be a long weekend, so people can get outside, enjoy, and like you say, uh, the splash pad will be available, and uh, you can get out there and cool off a little bit and uh, enjoy the park. Yeah, sounds good. Fantastic. So, all right. Um, I think uh, uh, Russ, are you still there? Or? I think yep, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, Susan, is there anything else that you, you, you need that we need to go over? I, Susan, are you still there? Uh, apparently she's not. <laughs> no, I am here. I put it on mute so that you wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't get feedback, but I am still listening. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, all right. Anything else, Susan, that you, we, we need to go no, over? I, that, that's it for my report for now, Dave. Thanks for the awesome. Well, folks know. Hey, thanks for jumping in on the phone and I uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, Russ, while you're still on the phone, uh, okay, obviously you know that the uh, uh, July 1, a lot of new laws uh, went into effect and... Uh, I know I've been dealing with some of the uh, the fallout from them. Uh, in fact, we had an issue at the at the town hall yesterday with all of the new um, requirements on on the phone companies to uh, limit uh, the robocalls and so forth. Uh, we had a, uh, a, a 
people had problem calling into the town hall. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, well, I, only bumps in the road with new, uh, with new laws when they get rolled out. And it was all configuration and so forth. So I've been working for two days with, uh, with Verizon and AT&T. So, you know, it would go from there. So anyway, so one, obviously one of the new laws that was passed, uh, you know, with the uh, legalizing marijuana in the state. Now, how, how is that going to affect, uh, you know, the health districts? Uh, well, in terms of the way the health district operates or any of our core mission or anything like that, it's really not going to impact us directly. But in terms of its impact on public health, I think it's been pretty clearly demonstrated <clears throat> um, where, and I don't even want to call it legalization because, you know, the possession of marijuana has been decriminalized in the state of Connecticut for, for years at this point. Right. It really is about marijuana commercialization. Uh-huh. So this is really just about allowing people to uh, grow it, uh, transform it, pack it, package it, label it, and sell it in a store. Uh-huh. Um, more than it is about, you know, legally possessing it. Okay. It really hasn't been a crime for a few years, like I said. So okay. in terms of public health, I think the implications are pretty clear. It's going to have a negative impact on people's health and well-being. And that mostly will impact children, um, but the levels of addiction with marijuana these days because of the high levels of THC, not only in the plant, but in the concentrates and the other products that are made from marijuana now, are the, the, the levels of THC are so much higher that the degree to which it can become addictive is much higher. So for anybody who thinks, you know, they're much older and they're thinking back to the 60s and 70s marijuana, you know, they're my generation, they're thinking back to <laughs> marijuana from the 80s, 90s, and even the early 2000s. The marijuana of today is much, much stronger, and so it is much more likely to cause addiction, and it does cause real addiction. Sure. So for people who said marijuana is not addictive, it, it is. I think the science is proven that. Mm-hmm. So we'll see more addiction. Um, <clears throat> we will see more children get uh, their hands on marijuana because it will just the amount of marijuana and the different types will increase in, in households. Um, the packaging, the types that are available from, you know, especially the edibles, chocolates, gummies, um, things like that, things that kids like to eat, frankly. Brownies. Um, brownies. You know, <laughs> what we've seen in other states is children, either deliberately or not, will get their hands on these products and they will consume them and they will have um, bad outcomes, end up in the emergency room. You know, again, typically you don't see the kinds of outcomes you see with other drugs. So I don't want to make the claim that if a child eats a pot brownie, you know, they're going to die or their liver is going to be damaged or irreparably or anything like that. Those things don't happen, but they can have a very, very, very bad experience. Um, they can end up in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, can, especially the, the younger somebody is, when they begin to use a mind-altering substance, the more likely they are to become addicted to that and others Sure. as an adult. So I think the public health implications are clear. I'm a little bit disappointed that the public health protections in the law were not stronger. Mm-hmm. Principally, I was hoping to see minimally caps on the concentration of THC. Um, and I hope that comes down to you know, somewhere in the area of 15% or lower, oh, okay. um, which was what was recommended. So I'm not a big fan of this piece of legislation, but I do understand the arguments that are made that people are getting it anyway. They're going across state lines and getting it anyway. Right. Um, they're basically looking at it as a cash cow. It's a t- there are tax implications. Let's, sure. Let's not pretend like this is about equity. It's really not um, because, again, it's been decriminalized for many years at this point. So, you know, I bet you if you ask Captain Millardo in the town of Portland when the last time it was that he actually arrested somebody for possession of marijuana, 
he probably couldn't remember. Right. So you could probably get him on here. Maybe we dispute that. But that's just my guess. Sure. So, you know, the, the old argument that we're filling our prisons with people for petty possession of marijuana is an old argument that just doesn't stand true anymore. So, right. Um, you know, I get, I'm not a big fan from a public health perspective. <clears throat> you know, on a personal note, if an adult wants to use a mind-altering substance, they're not going to hurt anybody else, and they're not going to harm their kids, and they're going to keep it away from their children, you know, go right ahead. You know, I'm not a big fan, but, but if you want to do something, you shouldn't be arrested for it. I'm fully in agreement with that. Yeah. Um, it certainly shouldn't wreck your future career uh, uh, opportunities. So I know there was, the other law that was passed was a clean slate law in the state of Connecticut. Well, sure. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, seven to ten years after you commit class D or E felony or misdemeanor, it can be expunged from your record. Right. Big fan of that because that has positive public health implications. But right. In terms of marijuana, I'm not a fan of seeing big green marijuana leaves on a store in Main Street that my kids get on a bus and every day go to school and drive by. Right, right. Well, the other thing, too, that I think that's going to, you know, uh, have to wait and see how it shakes out, but basically places that you can smoke marijuana, you know, I think. Yeah, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe municipalities under this law are required to set aside spaces, public spaces, where residents can use marijuana. Is that, is that am I getting that right, Dave? Uh, well, I know they have to provide spaces for smoking. Now, yeah. I don't know, this is going to be... Um, you know, most public buildings from a standpoint of, uh, you know, are uh, both state and federal are, are you know, basically uh, non-smoking right. uh, buildings as far as that goes. But I think, you know, employers are required to have a designated smoking area. Now, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that's in effect for the town. I don't know, Susan, if you're still on, whether uh, you're up on that at all. Yeah, I, I know, Dave. I talked with Mary Dickerson, our town planner. She's going to a seminar within the next couple of weeks to gain some more information, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll we'll be proceeding in the best way we can to keep everybody safe and healthy. Sure. I mean, that's number one. We don't allow smoking, of course, on our campuses, for our schools, our public buildings. Um, um, you know, smoking is smoking. Right, exactly. Um, but in terms of the retail establishments, how those are allowed or not allowed, that is something that would fall under the purview of planning and zoning and so they're uh, they'll be they'll be discussing that and i'm sure coming up with a with a good plan yeah exactly exactly yeah anything that can reduce the sort of the normalization of marijuana use especially among our youth is something i'm supportive of so you know the law is what it is it's you know it's passed it's coming july 1st next year will be the first opening i believe of retail sales of marijuana in the state of connecticut um I would just hate to have it just be so normalized in our towns that, that kids just see it as something that's kind of a rite of passage where, you know, parents start giving their kids their first joint when they're 16 because, you know, they want to be the first to give it to them because they know where it came from, kind of like alcohol. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that I want to see. And, you know, most of our towns, I'm actually not sure if Portland has a, a, a sort of a youth substance abuse prevention coalition, but many towns do. Um, you know, if you're curious about what, your town is doing in terms of keeping children safe when it comes to substance abuse, sit in on your next Youth Service Advisory Bureau meeting or your Youth, youth Substance Abuse Prevention Coalition meeting um, and just hear what they have to say. Sure. Um, you'll you'll yeah, learn a lot. Yeah, in fact, uh, Russ, <clears throat> our Youth Service Administrator, Mary Punt, retired just this past week, and we have an interim person, Meg Scotta, and so she is going to be, at least for the time being, uh, putting together some of the schedules and 
some of the activities, and, and this is certainly something that our Youth Service Bureau is always been on top of, and they'll continue to do so under Meg. Um, we're still recruiting. We have some applications for that job, but if our listeners know of anyone that would be interested in the permanent position, we wanted to take a look at a few more applications, and then we'll be interviewing folks and hopefully a permanent replacement in the early fall. Nice. That would be great. Uh, that's great. Well, Mary was a real asset, you know, especially during COVID. I got to know Mary very, very well. And she, yes, she did a great she's job. She's a tremendous too. asset. She'll be missed. Uh, but hopefully you find somebody who's, who's good, who's got some energy and some ideas and can bring those to the table. Great. Fantastic. All right. Um, great, guys. Uh, good discussions. Uh, yeah, really good. Maybe we'll do a special <laughs> on cannabis. That would be there we go. in the health department, I think, and planning. I think that might be an interesting uh future episode day for sure absolutely absolutely well anyway we'll, do that. well guys thank uh susan thank you for coming on thank and, and, and again uh, russ uh, as usual thank you for all your uh, uh awesome information and keeping our listeners uh tuned in on uh what the latest and greatest in in the uh, uh the the health uh, arena is as far as that goes so uh so instead of uh, you know signing off with stay home stay safe wear your mask or say you know go outside enjoy the weather and uh have a great summer so uh plan yeah thanks dave thanks russ we'll see you later Awesome. So that uh, wraps up our, uh, basically our episode number 38 here. And again, we're at the Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio with our guests, Ms. Susan Bransfield and our uh, health director, uh, Russ Melman. So uh, again, enjoy the summer and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side in uh, a week or so. So uh, thanks so much for listening and stay safe and enjoy the summer. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dave Kosminski. Please tune in every week for new and relevant conversations about the town of Portland. You can find us at portlandct.org or at YouTube forward slash town of Portland. And now wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. This podcast was produced by the Town Tech Educational Partnership Program, which is a partnership between Portland High School and the Portland Town Hall. If you're looking to start a podcast for your business or organization, check out towntech.org forward slash podcast to learn more.